Hi, and welcome to Where the White Coats Come Off podcast, a podcast for pre-PAs to help you get accepted into PA school. We are so happy you are here and to show you how to be the most competitive candidate, even with less than average stats or low GPA. We have years of experience working at PA schools and sitting on PA admissions boards, and we're the ones deciding who to interview and accept. And we have information for you. Before we dive into today's episode, we want to make sure you know that you must apply to the right PA schools for you and your strengths. This is one of the most important parts of applying to PA school, applying to the programs that value your strengths. If you aren't sure how to do this, definitely check out our program matching bundle where we jump on Zoom with you to create your list of PA schools that match you best, the ones that value your strengths and where you shine and are willing to overlook areas where you may be weaker. This also includes our incredible PA school directory to easily and quickly see what schools value and narrow down your list of the PA schools that fit you best. The directory is updated every year and you get lifetime access. All you have to do is re-download it. And you get an entire Zoom session with us to pick the best schools for you that value your strengths so you don't waste your money or another cycle. Check it out in the show notes. Now on to today's episode. Welcome to another episode of Where the White Coats Come Off. Join us in welcoming Carly Burridge, who is a nationally recognized expert in obesity medicine. She is on the podcast today to tell us about the super unique specialty of obesity medicine. Carly, thank you so much for coming onto our podcast today. To get started, tell us about you and your background, where you went to PA school, and what specialties you've worked in as a PA. Awesome. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and to talk to PAs about the awesome field of obesity medicine. So I'll kind of give you a little bit of a background and how I got started in that. So before I went to PA school, my, my background, my undergraduate was in physiology and psychology. So I did two, two degrees. And then I went to graduate school for clinical exercise physiology, really with an interest in you know disease prevention and how we could use things like physical activity for the treatment of all kinds of conditions, you know, be it cancer or diabetes or depression, you know, there's so many different benefits of, you know, exercise and physical activity. But I really wanted to work with the clinical population. And so as I was going through my graduate program, you know, I was talking to my professors and they mentioned, well, you know, with, with a degree in exercise physiology, a lot of people end up doing research or you can work in cardiac rehab or do something like that, but um, it wasn't quite what I wanted to do. You know, I really wanted to, to get in there with that, the lots of different clinical populations, lots of different people. And so we were also reading a book by Farley called Description for a Healthy Nation. And he was the New York Health Commissioner. And, and he really believes strongly that primary care is where a lot of the disease prevention and health promotion should happen. So I went to PA school really with the goal of doing that, of working in, in primary care and focusing on disease prevention and health promotion uh, and really working using a lot of the lifestyle therapies that we have available to improve people's health. So I started out in primary care and, you know, one of the things we didn't learn very much about in PA school or any of the other stuff I did, I don't have been a personal trainer, again, the clinical exercise physiology stuff was the disease of obesity, because this was prior to 2013, and obesity wasn't recognized as a medical disease by the American Medical Association until 2013. 
And so I really didn't, uh, I saw my patients just struggling with their weight, struggling with all of these weight related complications, wanting to lose weight, but really not having a lot of tools to help them other than obviously the lifestyle components, which can help. But a lot of times there's a limit to how much those types of interventions can help. A lot of times patients can lose weight, but they'll regain it back. And so it just seemed like there was something else going on right? Like, why is it so difficult to lose weight and to keep it off? Because all I'd ever really been told was it was a matter of, you know, calories in, calories out, you just got to balance that equation, and then people can manage their weight. And so, but something about that just didn't seem to be working. And so I was a little frustrated, honestly, in primary care, because I really wanted to focus on the lifestyle and the preventative medicine. And I was just getting frustrated with it. My patients were frustrated. And so I ended up, I ended up moving out of state. So it's a whole side story. But when I moved again, so I didn't work for about a year and a half, and I had my two kids during that time. And then when we moved again, I was like, okay, I need to get back to work. But I wasn't sure I wanted to go back into primary care. It seemed like there was something else, but I wasn't sure what it was. And just by chance, I happened to walk into a bariatric surgery practice. I was literally going door to door with my resume because I get out these two little ones. And I was like, I want something close to home, close to my babies. And so I literally went door to door. Like, does anybody want to hire a PA? And I just walked into this bariatric surgery clinic and they saw my background. And they're like, well, this is great. You can counsel our patients pre and post-operatively about lifestyle changes. And then we can train you to be a first assistant in the OR and you can help our surgeon out that way. So that's kind of how I got into the field of obesity care. And then once I was in that position, I was like, well, surgery is fantastic. It's a life-saving tool for a lot of patients. But for some people, they're not at the point yet where they need surgery. What am I supposed to do? Tell them gain 20 pounds and come back, right? Like that didn't seem like prudent medical advice. So I started looking at, well, what else is out there? And that's how I found the Obesity Medicine Association and how I found the field of obesity medicine, which was really just starting to pick up a little bit at that point. In 2014, there had been some new FDA-approved anti-obesity medications that came onto the market. So it was really kind of this growing field. And honestly, since I found that field, and, and I was very interested in creating these comprehensive obesity treatment centers where we had the surgical and the non-surgical and everything kind of under one roof. Uh, and I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to create several of those programs throughout my career. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into obesity medicine. And I've just absolutely loved it. It's everything I think I've ever wanted to do with my career. And it's just so rewarding when you see your patients actually getting healthier from the inside out. So you're not just managing complications and, and managing conditions with just medications or kind of putting band-aids on things, right? You're really helping them get healthier oftentimes with fewer medications from the inside out. So it's been very rewarding. So I'm very passionate about talking about this field of medicine. Such an incredible background, and thank you for sharing that with us, and it's so needed. And you are a nationally recognized expert in obesity medicine, and you've touched on it just a little bit, but tell us more about the societies and associations and all of the organizations you're involved with. Yeah, so like I said, I mentioned that I got introduced to the Obesity Medicine Association, 
which is one of the largest medical organizations specifically for clinicians who want to treat obesity. And it was great. They had a mentorship program, so you could sign up as a mentee. So at my first conference, you know, I didn't know anybody there, and so I signed up as a mentee, and I was paired with an awesome mentor by the name of Sam Christensen. She's a nurse practitioner. And so she just kind of took me under her wing, and she was about to go to, like, a committee meeting. It was for the – they had an NPPA committee. So she was like, well, I'm going to this committee meeting. Why don't you come with me? Just tag along and see what these committees are about. So I did. I went with her, and I was like, this is so cool. And they were working on all this really cool stuff uh, for NPs and PAs specifically in obesity medicine. So one thing led to the next, and by a couple years later, they asked me to be the chair of that committee. So we did some really great work as a committee. I mean, I certainly can't take the credit for this because it was really was teamwork, but we were able to get a certificate of advanced education approved for NPs and PAs because currently physicians can get board certified in obesity medicine, but PAs and NPs cannot sit for that exam. So we can take all the same courses, we can take the review course, we can learn everything, but we cannot become board certified. So that was a real issue because there were a lot of us that were getting a lot of training in obesity medicine, and we didn't have any way to demonstrate our expertise in the field. So we got that approved. So that's really cool. So that's available for all PAs right now is to get the Certificate of Advanced Education through OMA. And also we were able to get um, a position approved on the board for OMA, for an NP or PA, because previous to that, only physicians could sit on the board. So that was a really great experience, and I'm still very involved with the Obesity Medicine Association. I do a lot of stuff with them. I do a lot of teaching, a lot of lecturing. I've moderated several of their conferences, so still very involved with them. And then locally in the state of Illinois, we have the Illinois Obesity Society, so I'm on the board for that. So we have quarterly in-person meetings, and again, this is open to physicians, PAs, NPs, dietitians. so it's, it's a little bit broader. So we have a lot of, we have a one-day CME event every year, and then we have these quarterly dinner meetings, which are really great also just to network with people and get great speakers there. And then also in 2000, I think it was 2017, Amy Ingersoll, who's also a PA in the field of obesity medicine, and I, we founded uh, PAs in Obesity Medicine as a SIG, a special interest group for AAPA, because we really wanted to have a voice at AAPA for the field of obesity medicine. Uh, in addition to that, it was still also this idea of how can we somehow get a board certification or some kind of certificate level for PAs in obesity medicine. So we started that as a special interest group. We were told that's the first route you need to go. So we started the special interest group, but we still have that Facebook page. Uh, we currently have 625 members in that private Facebook page just for PAs in obesity medicine. And then just in the last couple of years, we've been working towards becoming a caucus. We now have a board, so I'm the president currently, and then we have other board members. And we've been working very hard over the last couple of years. We just put in our application about a month or two ago to become a caucus, which is very important, very exciting, because then we'll actually get a vote at the House of Delegates, and it will really just help us be able to make obesity, yeah, at the, at the, put it at the forefront for AAPA and for PA organization, which they've done a really great job with, I have to say, in supporting obesity as one of their uh, national initiatives the last couple of years. They've had an obesity track at the AAPA National Conference, so 
you know, AAPA has been very supportive of, you know, including obesity medicine in their education. So we're very grateful for that. So yeah, those are some of the organizations I'm, I'm involved with right now, which is very exciting. Amazing. You're totally a trailblazer. You know, I've had, like I said, I've had great mentors and great supporters along the way. And so when you see other people doing it, you just get motivated. And I love bringing other people into, you know, bringing up the next, you know, leaders. And so that's been really exciting to see other people step up. And I'm certainly walking on the shoulders, you know, standing on the shoulders and walking in the path behind, you know, other trailblazers that have come before me. So it's exciting to see. Awesome. What do you think is the biggest obstacle to working as a PA in obesity medicine? Well, I think there's a couple. I think one of the first, probably the biggest one, is there's still a lot of bias and stigma towards obesity, both from patients and just the general public and providers as well. There's still, and I, I understand where it comes from because honestly, before I was really educated on obesity as a disease and why it's a disease, I also thought of it as more of a lifestyle choice in a way, right? Like, well, people just need to eat better and, and maybe exercise more. And that's, that's wrong. You know, that's just, that's not a complete story of, of, of obesity. It's a much more complex disease than that. So I think there is still a lot of weight bias and stigma, which makes it difficult, I think, for patients to really seek treatment because they think that they should be able to do this themselves. So they oftentimes don't ask for help. You know, studies have shown over 80% of patients with obesity feel like it's entirely their responsibility to, to manage this. And we wouldn't think that with anything else. If somebody has hypertension or diabetes, like they don't cancer, they don't think it's their own responsibility to, to manage that, right? But when it comes to obesity and weight, they do. So a lot of times people don't seek help. And for clinicians as well, unfortunately, there is still a lot of weight bias and stigma amongst clinicians as well. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of education that most of us have received around obesity and the signs of obesity. And so that really, you know, makes people more hesitant to, you know, treat it seriously, to treat it like a disease. If you compare even just pharmacotherapy, which is obviously just one part of obesity treatment, and it doesn't work by itself. You have to have the lifestyle components along with it. But same with diabetes, really, right? And if you look at diabetes, 86% of people who have diabetes are being prescribed some kind of pharmacotherapy to assist them with managing this disease. And when it comes to obesity, it's only about 2% of patients with obesity are being managed with pharmacotherapy as an adjunct to lifestyle changes. So I think that's that's definitely still a big barrier that we're working hard to overcome. I think another is insurance coverage, right? So a lot of times when you talk to people, you know, we have some great pharmacotherapy options available now. Why aren't people prescribing? And a lot of times you hear, well, insurance doesn't cover it. So, and it's too expensive. So, you know, a couple things. One, yes, it definitely there is that barrier with, of insurance coverage. And right now it's something that the employer has to opt into uh, for obesity coverage. So it's, it's kind of employer dependent. Then also we know that Medicare does not cover anti-obesity medications. So that's why the passage of the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, also known as TROA, is so important because one of the things that's in that act is that it would cover anti-obesity pharmacotherapy for Medicare. And as we know, a lot of times everybody else follows Medicare. Um, 
So those are definitely real issues. But a lot of times, you know, the coverage is improving and a lot of employers are starting to see the benefit of covering anti-obesity medications because you know, if you treat the obesity, everything else gets better. So they're going to have cost savings of, you know, diabetes and all the other, you know, 236 plus complications of obesity if they can address the obesity itself. So we're starting to see more and more coverage. So I would just encourage people, you know, to, to have their patients. Well, first of all, everybody should support the Treat and Reduce Obesity Act, and it's very easy to do. You can go to the obesityaction.org website. That's the Obesity Action Coalition. And um, it's very easy to click something where it basically just sends a letter to your state uh, senators and things like that to say that you support this. So there, there are simple things that you can do there, but also just looking it up and trying. Look to see, don't assume that your patient doesn't have coverage. A lot of times, if you don't have staff who can kind of look into that for you, you can even just put it on the patient. Say, hey, before the next time I see you, I want you to call your insurance provider and see if you have coverage for these medications. And then in addition to that, there are also you know some cheaper options. It's not just the brand new medications. We have older medications that are much more affordable that are also very effective. So it's a little bit harder in obesity medicine than other, you're treating hypertension, you don't have to worry twice about you know covering the medication because there's really cheap options available and it's always covered. So I would say that's another hurdle is the insurance coverage. Yeah, 100%. And it totally resonates the point that you made that if we could focus on treating the obesity, how much better all of the other chronic diseases and conditions would get. And it's fascinating that we don't focus more attention into that arena. So hopefully with all the work that you're doing and all of your organizations that that's coming down the pipeline and we can raise a lot more awareness about that for sure. On the flip side of that, what is your favorite thing about working in your specialty? It's the patients. It's the patients. It's, you know, Nick Pennings, who is, who is a professor also and a physician in obesity medicine, he says, obesity medicine is happy medicine. And it's so true. You know, he says, other than delivering a healthy baby, like helping somebody really be able to manage their weight, a chronic condition that a lot of people have been struggling with their whole life and have so much frustration and shame around and helping them be able to get control over that and feel good and feel energized and, and really get healthier from the inside out. So, you know, as you mentioned, just everything else gets better when people lose weight. Their joints feel better. They have less inflammation. Uh, a lot of times mood can improve. Sleep can improve. You know, they can be off, you know, a lot of times they can get off medications. That's something that we learn as obesity medicine specialists that a lot of times clinicians don't learn is we learn more about de-prescribing medications because you really, a lot of times we're having to take people off of medications. Whereas usually in, in regular traditional care, the only thing we really think about is adding more and more medications because so many of these chronic diseases are progressive, right? And so we have to keep adding more and more and more medications. Whereas in obesity medicine, we kind of get to do the opposite. We get to get people off of their medications. So, you know, when you have a patient come in, like they're just very grateful most of the time. Of course, it's not, not every patient, but you know, they're just very grateful for your help, that you're explaining this to them. It's really lifting a lot of that weight of this shame that they have felt about their weight for so long, helping them realize this is not your fault. There's a lot of biological factors and drivers in place here, and, and this really has more to do with the brain. We don't have conscious control over our appetite, right? We can't decide whether we're hungry or when we get full and when we get hungry again. That is 
a subconscious part of the brain, right? That happens in your hypothalamus. Much less can you control your body temperature yourself or your oxygen levels, right? It's something that the brain controls. And so patients are just so grateful when they finally get some real help around this, something that really works where they're not hungry all the time because a lot of times we tell people, well, just eat less, as though you can just white knuckle your way through one of the most important physiologic drivers that exists. You know, hunger is a super powerful biological signal. And to assume that people should just be able to ignore that for the rest of their lives, really, just, just be hungry. All the, that's, that's un, un, you can't do that to people. It's unrealistic. It's, it's not right. And so when patients receive that kind of guidance and they get the support that they need, the emotional support, I mean, obesity medicine really is. Yes, it's part of it's about helping people control their appetite, and we can do that through pharmacotherapy, bariatric surgery. Also, specific nutrition plans can also be used to help regulate appetite. But then there's also, you know, there's so much information out there about nutrition and different nutrition plans. And so to give them some guidance on that, and then as far as physical activity, right, really helping them set specific plans and goals around that and having individualized plans for people. And then a lot of other things like stress and sleep that really play a huge role in, in our weight and our appetite and, and helping them kind of just put all those pieces of the puzzle together. You know, when somebody takes the time and has the time to do that with the patient, patients just love it. And so when you see them, they just, they just have a different glow about them. They're just excited to see you. And I think working in medicine, sometimes we're, we're working with people who are sick or who are struggling or seeing us at their, you know, some of their hardest times. And so this is nice because it's, yeah, it's happy medicine. <laughs> yeah. And it sounds like you do quite a bit of functional medicine too, along with that. So that's, that's really cool. And just out of curiosity, how much do you see mental health play into obesity? Yeah, there's definitely a strong bi-directional um, relationship between mental health and, and obesity. And some of that is also just biochemistry, right? So when somebody develops obesity and they have these higher levels of these adipokines that get released, right? So our adipose tissue is one of our most active endocrine organs. And so especially when they hypertrophy beyond what your body can handle. So normal adipose tissue is healthy and good. It secretes over 100 different cytokines. They all communicate with the rest of the body. And as long as everything's communicating well, things are all good. But everybody has a limit to how much their fat cells can grow to the hypertrophy of their fat cells and how many fat cells a person has. So some people can store a lot of fat and not develop complications of obesity, at least the metabolic complications like diabetes or hypertension or hyperlipidemia, right? Because they can store a lot of adipose tissue safely. Now, they might have some of the other complications, like they might have osteoarthritis or some of the biomechanical, you know, they have the weight still that's, you know, putting pressure on their joints and on the respiratory system. So they could still have things like, you know, GERD or osteoarthritis or some of these other complications of obesity, but metabolically, they might be totally healthy. Whereas you could have somebody else whose BMI might seem normal or slightly elevated or their body fat percentage is only slightly elevated, but they don't have a lot of fat storage capacity. So they start to have complications of obesity like diabetes and things like that at a much lower body fat percentage. It really depends on the person and, and their physiology. So once our adipose tissue expands, hypertrophies beyond its capacity, then that adipose cell starts to act abnormally. We start to have a lot more of these pro-inflammatory cytokines being released. 
the, one of the reasons for that is because it's trying to induce neovascularization, so increasing the blood vessels to the adipose tissue because it's just become too big. It needs more blood vessels, so it secretes uh, more pro-inflammatory cytokines. But that inflammation goes throughout the whole body. And then all of these other different hormones that get released from the adipocyte can interfere with other hormones, right? So including like serotonin production and things like that. So there is a biological pathway in that obesity can actually cause or contribute to the de development of depression and, and mental health issues, right? So there's that direction. And then there's also, you know, just the bias and stigma comes back into it, right? So if somebody's been struggling with their weight and they've been bullied about their weight, they've been shamed about their weight, you know, obviously that can contribute to the development of depression as well. And then if somebody has depression, maybe one of their coping mechanisms, because we know one thing that oftentimes makes us feel better in the short term is food, right? So a lot of times people might turn to food to help them feel better because we do get a release of serotonin and dopamine when we eat, especially these calorie-dense, highly processed foods, right? We temporarily feel better. But then we feel shame because we just ate that food. So it just can kind of, you know, that can end up in a, in a mental health cycle as well. So there's there's lots of different ways that mental health and obesity kind of interact with each other. And then, of course, there's also this diet culture that we live in, this obsession with thinness, and that plays into all of it as well. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of different relationships between obesity and depression. Very interesting. What is a typical day like for you as a PA in obesity medicine? That's a great question. So it's interesting. My path has been a little bit different, especially in the last couple of years. I focused a, a little bit more on trying to help other healthcare providers who want to start doing obesity medicine and providing resources for them and all things like that so that it makes it easier for them because it is a time intensive specialty, right? So if we have handouts already made, if we have intake forms that gives us a lot of information, then we can save ourselves a lot of time in the clinic because we talked about barriers before and one that I didn't mention is time, right? And so a lot of people say, you know, I would love to treat obesity and I would love to do the lifestyle counseling, but I haven't really been educated on it. And also I don't have time for that. So I want to make sure that we can do a lot of this. And I've created numerous programs throughout the years. And so I've developed a lot of this content myself. And so the last couple of years, I've, I've really been focused on, you know, helping providers get those types of resources so that they can start, you know, offering obesity medicine. I do a lot of education, uh, speaking, you know, those types of things. Um, so, but I am getting back into, so I've been doing some telemedicine kind of part-time and actually just starting last week, I'm back in the clinic seeing patients, uh, face to face, but obviously that's what I did for, for years up until the last couple of years. So a typical day is, you know, depending on your program, you know, a new patient might be a 30 minute appointment or might be one hour appointment, kind of depending on what other support staff you have around you. So there are dietitians or other people in your program that can help with some of the counseling. It might be a shorter visit. If you're doing it all yourself, it's probably going to need to be a little bit longer visit. And so we do, you know, for new patient intake is really thorough. Obviously, you're doing their general, you know, medical history and things like that. But you're also going over their weight history with them. You know, what are times in their lives where they've lost weight or gained weight and what were the circumstances around that? Uh, what have they tried in the past? What's worked well? What hasn't worked well? Um, I want to take things like a nutrition history, a physical activity history, sleep history. You know, we want to screen for mental health disorders. Again, those are very common. Screening for 
um, eating just eating disorders and things like that. So the intake is, is pretty thorough and in depth. And then, you, you know, you start to put them on a plan. So a lot of times I'll start with, you know, getting some labs, making sure that there's no medical conditions that are causing weight gain, which is very common. We'll assess their medications because a lot of patients are on weight promoting medications, whether it's for their mental health or depression, or they're on a beta blocker, or they're on some kind of diabetes medication that promotes weight gain, psychiatric medications. So there's a lot of medications that cause weight gain. So we want to assess that and, and look at all of those different factors. So we're kind of starting to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. And then usually when they come back for their follow-up, it's usually two to four weeks after we'll start them kind of on a nutrition plan. And then depending on the patient, if, if they need help regulating their appetite, then we help them with that. And we can do that again, usually with pharmacotherapy or if they're a good candidate for metabolic and bariatric surgery, we address that. And then we add in some of those other things too, like physical activity down the line. You know, what are they doing? Where are they starting out? What are their limitations? Sometimes we refer them to physical therapy if they do have certain limitations to get started. Otherwise, it's something that we can, might be able to start just in the office and start slow, gradually build on it. And I think the frequent follow-up is important too. So I usually see my patients monthly. I know depending on people's schedules, they may or may not be able to see them that frequently. Um, if you have other support that they can see in the interim in between your visits, so maybe there's a dietitian or maybe there's even a commercial program nearby where they can get that kind of support too uh, if it's something that you can't do in the office by yourself. So it's, it's mostly seeing you know patients and then obviously all the other stuff that PAs do. It's not all that different from other specialties where you know you're seeing your patients, you're doing your <laughs> your labs and your refills and all that stuff. And this is a great segue into something really cool you've done. You own a really cool business called Gaining Health, which is to support healthcare providers who want to incorporate obesity medicine into their practice. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, so that's kind of what I mentioned. I started it um, during the pandemic in 2020. I, you know, I've been doing obesity medicine at that point for, you know, for a long time. And like I said, I started several different programs from the ground up. I moved quite a bit for my husband's job. So every time we would move, I'd kind of have to start all over. But it was exciting because there weren't that many places that had a comprehensive obesity medicine program. So Initially, a lot of them that I created were as an adjunct to bariatric surgery, but I've also worked it with programs and started programs within primary care. So I it just I had all this experience of starting up these different programs, and as I was doing a lot of the educating for the Obesity Medicine Association, for AAPA and AAMP and other organizations, a lot of people would say, well, this is so fantastic. I now have learned all this knowledge about how to treat obesity, about nutrition, about pharmacotherapy. But how do I take all of that information and actually like put it together into a program? And like specifically, like how do I, you know, what do I do in that first visit? And what do I do in the follow-up visits? And how frequently do I order labs? And what labs do I order? And just and how do I bill for this? Right? Like so, all of these questions that people had about really taking all of those individual components and putting it together in a comprehensive program because you really do need a program, right? And so that's kind of when I got the idea of starting my company, Gaining Health, because I was like, well, I know how to do this. I've done this, you know, over and over and over again. And so why don't I just put together some resources? So I wrote a book called Developing an Obesity Management Program, The Healthcare Provider's Roadmap. So it's really a roadmap, starting with like your business plan, like 
you know, where you should start from the very beginning, whether you're starting a program at like your hospital system or whether you want to like start your own practice or however you want to do it, you have to have some kind of a blueprint or like a, you know, a roadmap. So it, it starts with that. And then I really take it through, you know, the billing and coding. I take it through, you know, what do you need as far as in your, in your office, what type of equipment do you need? How do you set it up? What's the kind of language that you want to be using and training your other staff members on as far as language, you know, what are some ways to make sure that you're not expressing implicit or explicit weight bias? And then what do you do in those visits, right? That first appointment, your follow-up appointments. And so I wrote a book kind of explaining all of that. And then there's also, you know, you spend so much time when you start a new program putting together all your forms and templates and your EMR template and your letters to providers and you know all of those different things. So I created a whole bundle of things that can all be edited so that you don't have to recreate the wheel every time somebody wants to start a program. You can just use that. You can edit it, make it your own. But that way, like at least 90% of the work is done for you. And then like patient education materials. That's another thing. You know, it's something that we use a lot in obesity medicine is a lot of handouts and patient education stuff. And having to create that all yourself when you're starting a new program takes a lot of time. It can take at least six months or so to like develop all of these things. So that's what I did with gaining health. I was like, well, if I can, you know, help create some of these things and then people just use them, then hopefully more people will be motivated to start treating obesity rather than thinking about it or one day, or I'd like to do this, but I'm not sure how. It's just giving people those tools so they can get started because we just need more people out there treating obesity. You know, we have over 42% of the adult population is affected by obesity and we just have a small number of obesity medicine specialists. So we really need a lot more people who are offering this in all kinds of specialties. And that's what I think is great about PAs and why I love focusing on PAs, because there's almost no specialty where your patients aren't affected by obesity, right? So whether you're an ortho PA, maybe you're an ortho PA and you see a lot of your patients who need to you know, lose weight before they can have a joint replacement, or you just know that their weight is contributing to whatever problem they're coming in to see you, you can actually treat them, right? You can help them with their weight. Or if that's something that you're really interested in, you could even have like your own little niche within your ortho practice to help patients with this part of their care, you know, as part of their comprehensive care for ortho. Or the same goes for cardiology or GI or OBGYN. I mean, like I said, there's almost no specialty where obesity isn't either causing or exacerbating whatever condition they're in to come see you. So that's why I really like, you know, talking to PAs about this because I feel like we can just do it in just about any specialty. Yeah, we're very, very well placed to, to be able to do that. And on that note, what tips and advice do you have for our listeners who are interested in going into obesity medicine? Yeah, I would say the first step is to get educated because, like I said, most of us have not had any or, you know, maybe a little bit of, of training in obesity medicine, but for most people, they really haven't had any. So there's a couple different places you can go. So AAPA has an obesity, you know, toolbox, and there is a certificate, oh, I forgot to mention this, there's a certificate program through AAPA as well. It's um, obesity medicine in primary care. And so that's a program that they accept 100 NPs and PAs, although they might be increasing that number because we're adjusting the program a little bit. And I'm involved with that one as well as a faculty with that program. So if you go to AAPA and search 
search for that, people can get the certificate of primary care in obesity medicine. And then, and I would definitely recommend that for PAs who are maybe in primary care and want to start treating obesity in primary care, but don't really want to necessarily specialize in it. For people who really want to specialize in obesity medicine and really want to kind of make this potentially like their specialty, I would definitely recommend going to the Obesity Medicine Association. They offer a course called the Fundamentals of Obesity Medicine, so that's a great place to start. You kind of get like the core building blocks, and then you can just kind of learn more from there. And again, we have that Certificate of Advanced Education in Obesity Medicine available through the Obesity Medicine Association. So that would kind of be, you know, the next steps. And then I would definitely encourage people to join PAs in Obesity Medicine. So you can go to pasinobesitymedicine.org and you can join as a member. It's only $50 for an annual membership. And so that's just a great way to connect uh, with other PAs. Uh, we will be able to start offering CME and, and other educational opportunities, a job board, and other things like that. Um, so I, those would definitely probably be the, the top tips to get started in obesity medicine. And listeners, we will post all of those links in the episode notes. If anyone wanted to reach out to you, is there somewhere they can find you if they had any other questions? Yeah, absolutely. So, you, I mean, you can definitely go to my website at gaininghealth.com. I think my email address is on there too, but it's Carly, K-A-R-L-I, at gaininghealth.com. Um, I also have a podcast. It's called The Gaining Health Podcast. And so that's another great way. So I kind of do, I alternate. It's a weekly podcast, and I alternate between doing interviews with a lot of the leaders in obesity medicine and then What's Up Wednesday episodes, which is where I take a recent study and kind of summarize the recent study because I, obviously there's a lot of research and a lot of stuff coming out and it's hard to keep up with all of it. So that's just a quick way to, to stay on top of some of the research. So you can definitely check me out there. And then on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn as well. So people can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, and then I do have my Facebook page for gaining health. It's called My Gaining Health on Facebook as well. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And one final question. Who is Carly when the white coat comes off? Well, these days, it's, it's mostly surrounding my kids. So my kids are 11 and 13, and they're both playing travel, club, volleyball, and my son's also playing basketball. So uh, every evening, that's where you'll find me at a gym. And every weekend between, well, I would say now in March, but it's really every weekend, I'll be at a gym. So, and I'm, my husband and I both play volleyball as well, and I used to play basketball. So, definitely sports is a big thing. Or you can find me walking my Doberman. So, I like to go outside, and like for me, just like being in nature, being in the woods, like that's kind of how I recharge. And then occasionally, I started doing some ballroom dancing last year. So, potentially, you might find me on a dance floor. It might not be ballroom dancing. If there's music, I'll probably be on the so cool. Awesome. Carly, thank you so much for coming on to our podcast. This has been such a pleasure. So much incredible information. And we know our listeners are going to love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Where the White Coats Come Off. We are so grateful to be a part of your path to getting accepted to PA school. We want to make sure you've heard about our new personal statement creation writing package, where we meet you on Zoom to write your personal statement with you. Remember, your personal statement is one of the most important parts of your entire PA school application. It must be convincing, professional, passionate, and truly demonstrate your desire to be a PA. 
it must be excellent. The personal statement alone can take an average or even less than average application from the maybe pile or the no pile to a yes, let's definitely interview this candidate. If you aren't sure what to write about, what experiences to include, if you should explain weaknesses and how, or overall just how to make your personal statement outstanding, then definitely check out our personal statement creation writing package. We meet you on Zoom for 90 minutes and write your personal statement with you, even if you haven't written a single word. Check it out in the episode notes. Thank you for listening and we'll catch you at the next episode.